the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. I am your American dental hygiene host, Melissa. And I'm your Australian host, Tabitha. So we have a super duper fantastic, uh, super, I'm just so excited. I can't even find the words. We have the incredible Angie Stone here with us today, a freaking pioneer in just oral systemic connections. And uh, she's the author of dying from dirty teeth and um, she has evolved her passion and I cannot wait to dig into all of the goodness that she's going to share with us. Hi Angie, thanks so much for being here. Hi Melissa. Oh my gosh, you're a crazy chick, right? <laughs> like, it's just me. It's just me. It's not not that big of a deal, right? So so thank you for that. I'm so excited to be um, with both of you and be able to experience the work that you do. Um, and so this is super exciting for me to be here with, with both of you today. So thank you so much. Oh, and we've pleasure. actually recommended your book a fair few times on the podcast as well. So yes. everyone that this is the lady we talk about. <laughs> yeah, she's here with us now. We're like girl fanning. But and you normally start with asking, so you've graduated high school. Uh, what made Angie decide she wanted a dental career? Oh my gosh. So it's kind of crazy. Um, I had um, some really pretty crooked teeth going on when, when I was a kid. And um, my parents really couldn't um, afford the orthodontics um, to, to get my teeth good. However, they made the sacrifice um, to be sure that my teeth were fixed. And so um, I went to an orthodontist. It wasn't the most popular orthodontist in town. You know how that goes, right? You've got like the guy, um, but the guy was too expensive. So I went to a less expensive guy and um, ended up doing a great job um, on my teeth and made such a huge difference in my life to have this smile that, um, that I loved. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I want to be able to be involved in giving someone else this joy of having a healthy, um, a healthy smile because it can smiles as we all know, right? Change the world. And so that's really where that came from. And, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll be a hygienist. Um, I liked my hygienist in, in, you know, when I was a child. And so that's where it all started from. Very cool. So orthodontists, it's like inspired so many people to go into dental. We'll have to send the orthodontic community a big thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then so you became a dental hygienist. And obviously the later part of your career now is very much focused on dementia and aged care setting. What in your journey of coming into dental really led you down that way? So um, Angie had a path uh, laid out for herself, right? <laughs> I was uh, going to teach dental hygiene. That was my big aspiration. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to teach dental hygiene. And um, so it took me a long time to get there because I served in the United States Navy. 
as a dental assistant for five years and then um, worked my way through hygiene school and became a hygienist and then worked my way back through school to get a bachelor's degree in psychology so that I could teach. Wow. Okay? And so um, I started teaching and I'm like, eh, this is not for me. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I thought this was going to be, but this is not it. Um, so I started doing a whole bunch of other things, just exploring, right? And any opportunity that came up, I was saying yes, right? And that's what we have to do, right? And and people are like, well, how did you know it would work out? I'm like, I didn't. You, you just, you say yes, and you put yourself out there. So um, as I was doing all of that, my mother-in-law ended up in a nursing home at the end of her life. Mm-hmm. And um, it became apparent to me as what I call a baby hygienist. I'd only been a hygienist for a few years. Um, it became very apparent that dentistry was non-existent um, in these in these nursing homes. And um, my mother-in-law likely died from dirty teeth. Wow. And that's that was the premise of the book too, right? It's like, oh my gosh, how are we letting people die from dirty teeth? I mean, this is ridiculous. And so that that was my eye-opening experience. Um, so I started teaching nursing assistants about oral hygiene. And in all honesty, um, that was not very well received. I mean, we could talk about a whole podcast about that. Um, and there's reasons for that, right? Um, right. But my mother-in-law, my grandmother then was in the process. She was in the nursing home a few years later. And she ended up losing 60% of her teeth in two years between the ages of 90. 90 and 92. Wow. And I'm like, hold on this. And so that puts some more fire in my belly. And I'm like, all right, this cannot happen. So one thing led to another, I developed a business, um, doing oral care, having hygienist contractors do oral care. Um, and again, in the background, all of this Alzheimer's stuff was going on. Um, we were serving a lot of people with Alzheimer's disease. Um, my dad now has Alzheimer's disease. His mom died of Alzheimer's. Her mother died of Alzheimer's. So my dad and his sister are the third generation of Alzheimer's. And when the pandemic shut my business down, I was devastated. But you know what, guys? There was a purpose for that. There was a purpose for me to get quiet and to really listen to really what's happening. And it can make me cry um, because I wasn't seeing it, right? That the path was turning. Um, I thought I knew the path, but it was really um, taking a different direction and I wasn't able to see it, but I see it really clear now um, that I am on this earth to share this information about Alzheimer's disease and um, everything I've done up until this point has been preparing me for what this is going to end up being. And You just um, gave me the chills. It's, I love that. you know, I thought I was going to die when the pandemic hit. You guys, I thought I was going to die. My business was gone. My Facebook was hacked. All of my professional contacts were gone, unrecoverable. And so I literally was completely isolated from everything I knew. Wow. And um, I'm like, what is this about? What is this about? Well, it's very clear now what it was about. So could you share with the listeners, I think something that um, dementia and Alzheimer's get used interchangeably a lot. So could you share with the listeners what's the the main differences between Alzheimer's and dementia and how they should understand them a little bit? 
Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up, Tabitha, because they do get interchanged and there's a reason that they get interchanged. So dementia is an umbrella term. Okay. Uh, dementia is simply a term that means certain symptoms. Okay. So if someone has dementia, it typically means, oh, their memory has been affected. They don't task as well as they should be. Um, they maybe don't remember day-to-day um, -day things, okay? So it's dementia is a big umbrella. And underneath the umbrella are all of these diseases that give people these symptoms. So Alzheimer's is the biggest cause of dementia symptoms, okay? That's why they get interchanged. However, there are other types of, um, there are other diseases like Lewy body, dementia, mm. frontal temporal lobe dementia. Um, but the biggest piece of dementia is Alzheimer's. Yeah. Wow. And then um, I think something that's quite difficult in the dental surgery, and I've personally experienced this earlier in my career as well, is, you know, when you see a patient every six months over a number of years, you really get to know them really well. But sometimes you can be picking up on that six monthly appointment that the memory is, is getting quite bad. Sometimes before the family does because they're sitting there with them every day and they're slowly watching the decline or in my, my um, great aunt has Alzheimer's and I think her partner, my uncle, really covered it up a lot because he didn't want to deal with it. But I remember having a patient and I remember thinking, can this patient consent? Like, you know, like in my brain. Yes. But when I said something to the partner who came along, they were very much, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't think everything's normal here. Like, how do you um, recommend you kind of start a conversation like that or have those difficult conversations? Because he said to me in the middle of the appointment, why am I here? And I was like, yeah, I've had that too. And this was a businessman who, you know, very high up, running high corporate businesses, and then all of a sudden in the middle of appointments, he's saying, why am I here and who are you? And I've been seeing him for eight years. I'm like, yeah, there's something majorly wrong here. And I saw all of his kids, all of his grandkids, but obviously because of patient confidentiality, I can't be talking to all of them about it. But I do have the partner in the appointment, and I'm like, um, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, everything's great. And you're like, oh. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I'm so sorry about your aunt um, experiencing yeah. this this disease. Um, did you say great aunt? Yeah. 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 I'm so sorry. Early, but yeah, it's um, it, it really is something that's from having now firsthand experience of watching it, how it affects partners, kids, everyone in the family. Yeah. It it's a horrific. It's disease. horrific. It's devastating. Um, and so yeah. I'm so sorry that. Your loved ones are on that journey. Um, and then to answer your question, I think first and foremost, um, we need a question on our medical history form. Yeah. Have you been diagnosed with any mild cognitive impairment? Um, have you had any um, brain injuries, right? Um, mm. We need to have brain-related questions on our med history. So then that kind of opens up that conversation, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say that's first step and we just don't even have it, right? We don't even have that on our bed history. And no. I've talked to some hygienists who are like, oh, can we even ask that? I'm like, excuse me? What you ask them every single thing under the sun. Why, why can't we ask them about their brain? We yeah. ask them about everything, right? Yeah. I'm like, 
why could I not ask them if they've had a diagnosis of MCI, which is mild cognitive impairment, by the way. Yeah. Um, and it's just a and, medical question. It's no different to any others. It's no right. different to any others. Yeah. Of like, yeah, put it on the medical history. Um, and other than that, I think that, um, Tabitha, in the scenario that you were explaining to me and you had the partner there, um, and the partner's like, no, everything is okay. I maybe um, would have um, spent some time out of the operatory with that person. I said, could I just, um, could we have a little conversation? Or could, would it be okay if I would call you later, right? Yeah. Because I would want that loved one to know that your partner asked me what he was doing here. Yeah. And yeah. who I was. And this is not, this is my clock. <laughs> clock so sorry. <laughs> um, and so it's like someone needs to recognize that. And you're absolutely right. When we're with someone all day, every day, we start to compensate for mm. what they don't do anymore. So we're like, well, this is just normal for us. And it sometimes takes that outside person to say, hey, there is something not right here. And um, it would be better to look into this sooner than later. Um, yeah. 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 And one of the things that I also um, didn't probably have enough compassion for until my aunt got diagnosed and I started seeing quite firsthand because we're quite close. So I was really seeing firsthand what's going on is how um, aggressive she kind of got, which she'd never displayed that in her whole life until the disease had got there. And so if she didn't want to do something, she's not doing it. Nope. Like, so if she doesn't want to brush her teeth, you, like, and this is what I say to people now, like, yeah, you can say the carer should be brushing their teeth, but I can assure you if my aunt doesn't want to brush her teeth, no one is brushing her teeth. Like I said, and you would be in physical harm if you tried to like, force her, like she would like slap your hand away, like something like that. Like same as with eating, like she's like, I don't want those vegetables, I want a dessert. And you're like, no, it's dinner time. Like, and she's like, I'm not eating them. Right. And you're just like, oh God, like they don't become like kids who you can like bribe. They become like way worse. <laughs> That's what I was just gonna say. It's like they almost revert to um the childhood mentality of if I don't want to do that, I'm not doing it. Right. And there yeah. isn't anything that you're gonna do to get them to do it. And because so it becomes very, very difficult when we're working with these folks. Um there are distraction yeah. techniques. Um, there are things that you can try, right? And as a certified dementia um, practitioner, um, those are things that I understand. And yet, as you said, Tabitha, doesn't mean you're going to get it done. It just doesn't mean it. Because I really feel, and I'm not sure if other people feel like this who are listening, I didn't really get much training in this at school. Like um, we didn't really even talk about don't know if we even mentioned dementia to be honest um, it was a long time ago my memory could be failing me um, <laughs> I and i don't even think we probably talk about this enough on a continuing education stage within australia i know that as well because the reality is there's a lot of people with a form of dementia in that umbrella thing and we're really not preparing ourselves for how we treat them how we communicate with their family and especially as you talk about once they hit that aged care setting where 
we seem to just dump, forget and walk away and go, oh, well, everything's going to go to shit now, lucky you. Like, excuse my language, but that's what it yeah. seems like. That's right. It <laughs> is really, that's the um, mindset that's taken um, from the time of the diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment. That's going to be, you know, the first diagnosis, unless there's one step before that, which is subjective cognitive impairment where the person is reporting it themselves or saying, hey, something isn't quite right here. Um, but the next step is the diagnosis of MCI. And at that diagnosis, um, really, it's like, okay, well, we'll check you in a year. They check them in a year and, and stuff's worse. And they check you in a year and stuff's worse. It's kind of like, you know, watching an area of decay, we're going to watch it. I'm like, watch it do what? It's just going to get worse. Decay, right? yeah, I mean, it's just going to get worse. Um, and so, and then at one point when that, the score on the MMSE, the mini mental state exam that's given, once that scores at a certain point, they're like, get your affairs in order. Cause this isn't going to end well. Mm. So is there anything when you get to that point, like say you were diagnosed with MCI, is there anything that you could do to help prevent it from progressing to, to Alzheimer's? You know, it really is, um, Melissa, that's a great question. Now, there are some things that are um, coming out and there are some proponents of, um, yes, we can reverse things if we're um, at the mild cognitive impairment stage, right? Um, those things uh, that are that a person is expected to do are very intense and um, consume basically your entire life you're going to be doing these things and it will consume your entire life, your daily activities, if you want to um, slow this down or reverse mild cognitive impairment. Um, and so it really is doesn't look good once that diagnosis is there, right? And everybody is going to go through the, um, the progression at a different time frame. Um, some go very quickly, some just like go on and on forever, right? And the stages can be short or the stages can be long. Every person is different. So um, at this point, the best possible thing is to take care of our brains before anything has happened, right? And this is why um, this piece of, of the Alzheimer's puzzle is, um, is so important for dental hygienists in particular because we are the prevention experts, right? People are used to us talking about prevention. And so in my mind, this um, prevention piece for keeping your brain healthy and preventing mild cognitive impairment, um, that's where the magic is because there are measures that we can take that we can reduce our risks of this disease, much like we can take steps to reduce our risks of periodontal disease or heart disease or, you know, or, or, or it's like Alzheimer's falls in that same category, but no one is hearing that message because we're, we're not, we're not paying attention. And then all of a sudden someone has MCI and they're told, okay, well, we're going to watch you. We're going to watch you. Oh, now you have Alzheimer's. Good luck. Just like you said, Tabitha, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and people are not shared. The narrative has got to change and we've got to get to people sooner and I'm, um, I'm really poised to be our family's fourth generation of Alzheimer's. Wow. I mean, so it's and, something and, that I have to worry about with a family history, you know, with my aunt getting it, it's always in the kind of back of my mind. Like, like even like sometimes when I, I'm, a, I'm actually just a forgetful person. Like I never know where my car keys are. Where is my phone? Where is my wallet? Like, you know, my whole family is like, oh God, it's Tabitha. And then you're like, oh my God. 
a thesis of science. <laughs> this is this is like, this I've been is like how, this since birth. <laughs> she and I twin. We're twins. We're literally yeah. other parents because my my parent my family's always like the same thing. Oh wait, don't we can't leave. Mom forgot her phone. It's, yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> I guess I'm like. Oh. Yeah. But it is but, something that's in the back of your mind, especially someone for you, Angie, who's got these generations yeah. um, in the family. So could you share with us maybe some things that you're doing as a preventative method, measure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, our, so there's some really big things and they seem like they're real surface level, right? But they're not surface level. It goes way deeper than what we typically think. So let's just talk about um, a couple things before I get to this conversation. So um, we all think that genetics play a huge role. And if we have the gene that we're going to get Alzheimer's, that is not true. I have one copy of the gene um, that puts me at a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. I know this. I have that gene. But that is only 20% of what um, may happen, right? So your genetics is about 20% of the piece of the puzzle. Your environment is another 20%, which to some extent we can control. Right. If we're living in moldy houses, if we're living with um, if we have high um, mercury content in our bodies, things like that. Right. Um, and the other 60, that's 20 percent. The other 60 percent is our lifestyle choices. OK. And I'm not saying um, lifestyle in particular because people are like, oh, yeah, well, I just need to eat right and exercise. I'll be good. Yeah, no, it, it's more than that. Um, so it is your life choices. So couple of the really big, big things are sleep. Okay. And I'm not just talking, oh my gosh, I have to get seven to eight <laughs> hours of sleep. Yeah. As it's 530 in the morning and Tabitha is already up and running around. And what time did you go to bed, my friend? Midnight. Yeah. No, this mm. is not okay. This but is that's my, that's a good night. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, and yeah. that we don't, we don't realize that. So let me explain a little bit um, more in depth about sleep. So people are like, oh yeah, I get it. I need to sleep seven to eight hours a night. Yeah. That's the beginning of it, but that's not the whole story, right? How much deep sleep are you getting? How much REM sleep are you in? How much, how restless are you when you're sleeping? Because when we're asleep, we have this really cool thing called the glymphatic system. Hmm, does anybody remember glymphatic system? No, you might need to remind us. No, all. I, yeah. I've totally forgotten. Yeah. So we know about the lymphatic system, right? All of our yeah. lymph nodes and stuff. Yeah. That keeps things kind of cleared out of our bodies. Well, the lymphatic system does not do anything in the central nervous system. So... In order to keep our brains cleaned out of all the toxins and things, we have the glymphatic system. Okay. And the glymphatic system is always working in the background, okay, during the day, but it's not doing a whole bunch. And the glymphatic system really gets turned on in the night. And in my mind, I think of it as a bunch of Zambonis that come out in our brain. You know what Zambonis are, right? Those little, those big things that like clean the ice in between hockey periods, yep. right? So when we sleep and when we're in deep sleep is when the Zambonis are cleaning out all the toxins and getting rid of all the inflammation in the brain, right? However, we don't just fall asleep and go into deep sleep. We have to cycle through all the phases of sleep several times in a night. So what I like to say, it's like, okay, say you're cleaning your living room or your, your house, right? And you've got an hour to do it. 
and you can get it done in an hour, but you get called away in 30 minutes. Nah, half your house isn't clean, right? Half your floors are not clean. That's what happens when we don't get enough sleep, right? We're cutting our glymphatic system off too soon. And the Zambonis don't have the time to work. And so all the toxins and the inflammation are not having enough time to get our brain clean. And so it is huge. How many saturation drops are you having in the night? Do you know? Do either of you know how many sat drops you have in the night? No. I've done it before. I've had, I've had a couple of sleep studies actually because I've suffered from insomnia um, my whole life. Even as a, as a baby, I was a okay. Sleep. So I've had a fair few sleep studies through childhood and adulthood. And so I have had it checked. I was actually diagnosed by the sleep physician as an efficient sleeper <laughs> who doesn't. So I, I technically have not many people have it, but I have something wrong with me where I, I don't actually need a lot of sleep and I can REM cycle really quickly. So I'm into REM within minutes of sleep rather than having to wait a whole 45 minutes and I cycle and I don't dip that much in my, they have looked into it. I've actually had a, a fair few studies and I've seen sleep physicians and stuff like that because I, my insomnia can peak really badly sometimes. And so we were, I was seeking help for it. But um, when I'm really good with my um, taking some magnesium supplements, yep. making magnesium sure I do my, um, my sleep hygiene. So being near a screen, um, not having any blue lights, um, doing some meditation before bed, I can actually get more sleep if I really, but for me, sleeping isn't something that comes naturally. I have to like, it's, it sounds weird, but I have to like work yeah. at sleeping mm -hmm. um, because I find it very difficult to turn my brain off. So when I get into bed, my brain goes into overtime and I'm like thinking about 10,000 things and I'm like, oh, and then, you know, like I get up to write things down and like, yeah. I swear all my best things come to me just before sleep. <laughs> I'm like, I've got this great idea. <laughs> yeah. So um, for me, sleep is something I really have to work on. And I've realized the last year that um, I'm not doing it well enough. Like I need more. So I've been making it a priority. So like my phone now, goes into sleep mode at a certain time so that if you want to actually use it, you have to go in and like seek permission. And I get a notification that says you are going to sleep in 30 minutes. Don't touch your phone. <laughs> I, but for me, that stuff, it sounds funny, but it doesn't come naturally. So I have to have all these things put in because I just naturally want to keep going all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, and it was actually something that my aunt did. She never slept. And when she got dementia, when she got Alzheimer's, I was like, oh my God, it's linked. Like, <laughs> it, um, it is so, so, so important for the functioning yeah. of our brain. Also, the temperature of the room. Is the room completely dark? I mean, it's like there's all of these things and we're like, oh, I just need to sleep for seven hours. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. No. What is the optimal temperature for sleeping? 65. Really? Uh, I'm going to Google that and tell people what that is in Celsius because that means nothing to me. Hang on. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't do that conversion that fast. I know 104 is 40. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. the one I know. <laughs> oh, wow. That's 18.3 degrees Celsius, which is interesting because when I go to hotels, I like to actually have the room quite cool mm -hmm. and then hop underneath my doona and I actually mm -hmm. find that I sleep quite well. And yeah. one of the tips that the sleep physician gave me was to have quite a warm shower 
and then go into a really cold room and drop my temperature really quickly. And that actually helps you fall asleep. So that is something that I've actually tried to practice. My bedroom doesn't have air conditioning, so I can't get it that cool. But in hotels, I um, and I can do that and I do the shower, I actually fall asleep really, really quickly because that they were saying, they were explaining to me something about dropping the temperature. It just makes the body want to go to sleep. Um, now I know why I sleep so good in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. Um, Tabitha, you can cool your room to that temperature. There's these things called room air conditioners that don't require like putting in the window. My yeah. daughter just got one for her college dorm. I can send so you, you can the link cool on Amazon. that room to whatever temperature you want it. And they're not that expensive. Yeah. I was looking, I think Dyson makes like a, I was looking at one with them the other day because they make an air purifier cooler at the same time. So I was like, I could purify the air and do it all at once. Yeah. But yeah, um, I need to, because in winter, like you said, Melissa, you sleep so well because your room's so cold and then summer yeah. comes and you're like, <gasps> Dying, yeah. <laughs> yep. And then um, again, complete darkness. No, no lights um, from your clock, if anybody still has a clock or from your phone or whatever. Um, no night lights. Um, and if you have light, you sleep with a sleep mask because you need complete darkness yeah. because otherwise your melatonin is not like, yeah, there's all of this stuff, right? So it's like all of these things um, that that I'm doing are helping with my sleep. And I, I'm wearing an aura ring and that is uh, definitely um, tracking my sleep. And so I'm really, really working on um, on my sleep because that's one of the big pillars. I have heard, can you share just like briefly a little bit about this aura ring? Cause I've done a little research with it. Yeah. Super cool. Um, and so it will track your, um, your activity during the day. It tracks your sleep. It gives me a sleep report. It will tell me, um, how much REM I've had, how much deep sleep, how restless I was. Um, it will give me a readiness score. Um, so it will tell me it's crazy if I don't, if I don't sleep, um, a certain amount. And if I've been super, super busy the day before my readiness tanks. Um, and if, wow. yeah, if you, um, eat, um, <laughs> pretty soon before you go to bed again, um, your body is not, um, and look at Tamitha, um, that, that is not good for us because our body then is spending all of the energy that it's supposed to be, um, using to repair ourselves. Um, it's using it to digest food. Um, and so if I've had a meal late and I go to bed, I don't sleep as well. And my readiness is not good the next day. So it really, the aura ring is really a great way for me to understand um, what my body's doing. And then I can be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I messed that up. I didn't wait um, three hours after I ate to go to bed. Wow, that long, huh? Three hours. Wow. That I so haven't been doing with my sleep hygiene. <laughs> What's that, Tabitha? 15 minutes isn't a good thing. <laughs> no, ma'am. Three hours. And then Wow, there's, there goes so, my bedtime snack. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. See, so there's all of these things that people just don't know. And we're like, oh, all we have to do is exercise and um, and eat better. It's like, mm, no. No, there's... It's, it's interesting, really though, because there wouldn't be many Sorry, yeah, there wouldn't be many kids that are three hours because, you know, I'm thinking about the time we eat dinner and the time I send my kids to bed. They don't get a huge break between eating and sleep, to be honest, because, you know, by the time you walk in the door after work and then you cook dinner and you feed them, it's like seven o'clock and I'm sending them to bed between eight and eight thirty. So they're not like 
I, I'm pretty sure my son's still like chewing his food some nights when he's dragging eating, and I'm like, go to bed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our, that's the way our lifestyles are, right? Especially when the kids are involved in activities and such. It's like you they come off the bus, you throw a snack down their throat and get your sports clothes on. We got to go to practice. And then they come home and it's like sh eating dinner, take a shower, go to bed. Boom. So it is. It's like very, it's a very hectic lifestyle. So the fact that you're saying 60% is lifestyle choices. It's, you know, okay. you just, when you hear that, like you said, you just think diet and exercise or like smoking or drinking too much, but you don't realize that it's your day-to-day -day activities that really are impacting that. Thank you so much for, for bringing that awareness. That's just huge. One of course. the things too, um, like a lot of research is coming out about um, Alzheimer's being a complication of like, you know, another form of diabetes mm -hmm. and the sugar that we're eating. So can you share a little bit about that with us yeah. as well? Oh my God, don't even get me started on sugar, right? Oh my yeah. gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. So sugar is not great for our brains at all. Um, it really is implicated in some of the pathologies um, that come about um, with Alzheimer's disease. And they are, some people are referring it to as type three diabetes um, because it um, can be a complication of the metabolization of the glucose um, in, in the brain in just a real simple way to put it. And um, so, yeah, we've, we've got to get rid of the sugar um, as well. It just is not this, this sugar thing that we, that we know of is uh, it's not good for anything. Right. And it's, it's causing our obesity and it's causing um, type two diabetes and it's, they're linking it to Alzheimer's disease and a whole bunch of other things. Our cells in our body aren't intended to eat all of the sugar that we're eating. And so they mutate and that's where we get our cancer from all of itself oftentimes. And cancer loves sugar, right? So it can grow really good when we're eating sugar and we have cancer. So it's like all of these things. Um, and if we go back to what did we used to eat evolutionarily, um, we weren't eating sugar. This is mm -hmm. like this whole processed food thing is um, not good for any parts of our body. And I'm reading the book Metabolical, which um, if you haven't read it, oh my goodness, it's such a good read by Robert Lustig, I think his name is. Um, it's all about um, why these processed sugars are here, or processed foods are here and what they're doing to our bodies. And it's just fascinating. So um yeah, that's that's another thing that people are like, oh, you know, eat this. It's like, no, we've got to get rid of the sugar for a number of reasons. Absolutely. And people don't even realize how like they might say, oh, I eat healthy because I got a salad for lunch. But like what kind of dressing did you just dump on top of that and how much sugar is in that? You know, it's it's there is such a lack of knowledge with what eating healthy truly is. And I argue all the time about the food pyramid and, and the way, you know, we're teaching people that is not healthy eating whatsoever. And then people go on these crazy diets where they just eliminate one entire food and that's not healthy for you to do either. And then it might, you know, you might get results and it might work. So you think it's good for you. And then as soon as you integrate those foods back into your diet, you've put back all the weight you've lost. And then usually about 10 to 15 pounds more. So yeah. there's, there's so much mis misinformation around nutrition. That's not even funny. And it's interesting because, you know, we have such as, as our role at dental hygienists, we have such an opportunity to share that because 
it's more than, you know, Tabitha and I have talked about this a lot on the podcast and with some of our guests, it's more than eating sugar that we have to worry about. Yeah, it's important. But what, what are we saying besides don't eat sugar? You know, can't, mm. it's, it's better to give them examples like, okay, so, you know, and oh, granted, of course, we don't have all that time to have a, a deep dive conversation like this. But, you know, how do you structure that? Like, what what are you eating? What aren't you eating? Because if you ask the questions, you're going to get so much more information than just saying don't eat sugar. Because people don't realize, like, their coffee that they get in the morning, that, you know, light and sweet, that's loaded with sugar between the cream and the sugar that you're adding in. And they don't even, they don't put that connection together. They think, like, oh, I got to stop eating my candy bar. That's sugar. So there's just so much misinformation around nutrition. It's not even funny. Yeah. Hidden sugar is a very huge issue around the world where um, a lot of patients think they're eating quite healthy and don't even realise that they're having, you know, five times the daily recommended sugar intake because of that right. hidden sugar, not even sweet foods. You know, like like having, um, we've got a brand of uh, juicing bars here called Boost With and they make juices and smoothies. But some of the smoothies have 97 grams of sugar so it's like it's five Coca-Colas and because it's all healthy foods and fruits in there. It's marketed, yeah. It's marketed as healthy. So lots of people would buy them for their kids and go, look how good I've been and not even realise that they could have just given their, their kid five Cokes and no one would give their kid five Cokes in a row. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. like our playa bowls. It's the same kind of thing for us here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so crazy. I, it is crazy. So we've talked about sleep. We've talked about nutrition. Is there anything else with lifestyle that we could be making changes with to help prevent Alzheimer's? Um, I think we've got to be getting movement in um, and movement specifically for brain health. Um, and we don't think about our brain health, right? It's like, so what is the best movement for brain health? Yeah, what would you say? We're all about, oh, I have to either do cardio or I have to lift weights. Okay, so which one of those is um, brain health or what would you do for brain health? See, like I would think exercising your mind would be doing meditation, which you're usually like, I do walking meditations, but like usually you're still with meditation. So I'm interested to hear what brain exercise Meditation is amazing for our brains, right? Um, meditation for our brains is, um, there's no question that if we can meditate, it is, uh, going to help our brains tremendously. Um, the other thing is that we are like, oh, we do crossword puzzles for our brain. Well, okay. Look at the research on crossword puzzles for brain health. It's not, um, not what you would think it is. Right. So, um, it's not like it's hurting anything, but it's really not, um, specifically working on the different parts of our brain that we need to keep engaged. And so there are um, a couple of things that uh, people can look to. Um, There's something called Brain HQ, which is um, a great platform for keeping your brain um, exercised. Okay. And it, um, it isn't just like the same game over and over, like crossword puzzles over and over. It's testing many, many different parts of your brain. And you can um, take a pretest, and then um, they give you certain exercises to do. And then you can do um, 
these tests along the way to see if you're improving in the different categories. And then there is something also out of the um, University of Texas, I want to say, the Brain Health Project, um, which is a research program whereby um, people can be involved in that. Um, and that is also a great way to keep your brain exercised. So um, we really think that uh, that we just um, can live our life and do absolutely everything that we want to do. And we just expect that our brain is always going to be there for us. And everything that we that we choose to do or we choose not to do has an effect on our brain. And um, I don't know about you guys, but through my Alzheimer's experience, I've come to understand that the absolute most important thing that we can do is to maintain our brain. Because if I've done all this work to be thin and to, you know, have a good heart um, and I've just, you know, a healthy heart or whatever, and I've not paid attention to my brain, I'm here to tell you that I don't want to live without my brain. Absolutely. I, I could agree with that. Yes. Without my brain. And so um, to me, the biggest thing in in the health picture is the health of my brain because without that yeah. we're nothing i've seen yeah. it i see it i take care of alzheimer's patients every week um and i have 10 of them and only one of them can talk to me i definitely have noticed myself working you know at a practice for a really long time i was at um, one of my practices for nearly 10 years and you're watching you know your, your patients over a really long time i noticed especially with women who didn't really join the workforce and, you know, had just been home full time with kids. And then even when their kids kind of went off to further studies and stuff, they still kind of stayed at home. Um, and this is just a personal observation, but all people that retired really early made a lot of money and retired quite early because they were cashed up. Um, I noticed their cognitive health doesn't seem to go as well as those people that stay in some kind of either paid employment or a volunteer role where they're really active with their brain and doing things. And I definitely, because I've always said, even if I won lotto, I wouldn't retire because I definitely personally see a difference in their cognitive health for people that stay engaged in the workforce. Have you kind of witnessed that yourself? Yes. And actually there's research on that. So um, there's research about purpose and our brain. And once we no longer have a purpose, um, our brain isn't engaged as much. And so, Tabitha, when you talk about, you know, um, they've retired, it's like, okay, so what's our purpose? We're just going to hang out. Right. It sounds really cool to hang out on the beach, right? But how long can you hang out on the beach? Um, and so there is um, a purpose portion of uh, maintaining our brain. And then there also is a um, social ability, uh, a social portion of our brain that we have to take care of as well. Um, by maintaining our social contacts and being with people and being with different people. Um, And so that is, there is a real thing to exactly what you said. Um, And women are at a way higher risk for um, Alzheimer's than men. And so um, you just nailed three things right there. The women, the socialization, and then um, no purpose. And yeah, I saw that. Things. I yeah, saw it's that interesting. My... You just see it, don't you, Melissa? Yeah. So my grandparents both 
has dementia, uh, I'm sorry, Alzheimer's. Um, my grandfather was diagnosed with it first and my grandmother was his caretaker. And it was, it was a lot. And she used to share with me sometimes how frustrated she would get. She's like, I know it's not his fault, but I just get so frustrated. And then I feel bad for being frustrated because all I do is holler at him all day long. And, and she just like, you know, it was really hard for her. And um, after he passed away, she declined Angie like that because she didn't mm. have, like he was her purpose. Yep. And when he was gone, you know, and then I really, like, I felt bad for her. And then I felt bad too, because I, as much as I, like, I mean, I loved her with all my heart, but it was painful to have conversations with her because every time I would call, I would like cringe to see if she knew it was me or not. Yep. And like that first, like I could get choked up, you know, even talking about it. And, and then I feel awful because I distanced yeah. myself because I didn't want to deal with that pain of like, I, I don't know if she's going to know who I am or not when I call and it's easier to not deal with it than it is to deal with it. And, um, it's just, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And, you know, if, if there's anything that, that we could be doing as in our role as hygienists, identifying it, I mean, we didn't really talk about like the, the connection with P. gingivalis and gingy pains being present in the brain. But I mean, like just knowing how impactful that is for somebody's life to be able to change that. And after COVID, um, I, I was looking for a new practice and I had, I was all over the place. I did so many working interviews and one practice I was, um, guest starring in to see if we were going to work together. Uh, I had this conversation with the patient and I explained to them about the bacteria in their mouth and how it can get in their bloodstream. And, and some of it is connected to heart attack risk, stroke risks and Alzheimer's. And when the, when I said Alzheimer's, the patient looked at me and they're like, what do you mean? How, how, how does that happen? And I explained how they get into the bloodstream and can travel to the brain and deposit and affect your brain. And he was like, well, I have a family member that has that. So what does that mean? I said, well, now you have, now you have some more knowledge. So in the condition of your mouth is this, and we can do this to get it better. And I leaned him into the treatment. I said, you can do these things at home and you can come here and see us more frequently. And we can help manage this, this bacteria for you and keep it in a more symbiotic commensal state rather than getting to that point where it's dysbiotic. And we have the pathogens that can cause the, or, or contribute to this. And he like set up that three month appointment no questions asked, didn't care about insurance. And they were like, oh my God, wow, this is amazing. Like, how did you do that? And I'm like, I just did a little research and had a conversation. So like, it's not like, to me, it's not that big of a deal, right? Because like, this is what we should be doing. But the, the trajectory of how huge that can impact people's lives, having a little conversation like that and, and just doing your research enough to know the process is tremendous. Like that's, that's the thing. And like my, my grandparents, like they didn't value oral health. They didn't know those connections. They didn't know that the foods that they ate would hurt them or not. I mean, my grandfather was a, was a pipe fitter. So I'm sure the chemicals he was inhaling his whole career contributed to his issues. Um, you know, so like, there's so much more when you know better, it's our responsibility to do better. And I have to say, like, I don't mean to be negative, but I'm just disappointed in our profession as a whole because we are not taking the science. The science is here on a darn silver platter for us and we're not taking it and running with it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So many things I want to say, Melissa. Go um, for it. <laughs> um, I am so sorry about your grandparents. Um, Thank you. I, I've, I've been through that with, like I said, my grandmother. Um, I'm the first grandchild. And so, it, you know, you have the special bond and it was um, not, not fun. And so I, I can sympathize with how painful that is. Um, and then also when you didn't want to call, um, right I can sympathize with that as well. And everybody is different, right? Um, I have a brother, uh, my only brother. He um, he can't han cannot handle this with my dad very well at all. So his way of handling it is staying away. Um, and I am hands-on. I am like, you know what? I am going to be there. I am going to do whatever I can with this man. Um, but everybody handles it differently, right? Um, and so... I don't want you to feel bad um, for the way that you work through your grandma's Alzheimer's because everybody has their own way of doing it and nobody's right and nobody's wrong. Okay. Thank you for that. Of, of course, of course. Um, and then on to um, <laughs> yeah, our profession, we've got this stuff on a silver platter. I mean, yes, we do. Um, and exactly what you're talking about with that patient. Um, God bless you for that conversation. Because when we're talking to people about their brains, it's like, okay, well, if I have a heart attack, we can change, you know, we usually live through a heart attack. Sometimes, you know, we can do things. We're really good at rebuilding hearts. Um, However, if your brain starts to tank, there's not a lot that we can do. So that conversation that you had with that patient about his oral health and his brain was enough to be to get him to say, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. Yes, I want to maintain my oral health in name of my brain health. Right. And you're absolutely right. The P. gingivalis is the main bacteria that's being linked to um, the, the brain um inflammation. PG is being found in the brains of Alzheimer's sufferers alive and dead. And um, it's one of the inflammatory markers that are inflaming our brains. And so, yes, it does travel through the bloodstream. It does go across the blood brain barrier, right? And so we have a duty, as you said, to tell our patients, we've been talking about oral systemic connections for a while, and we get on this big mantra about, oh, how medicine doesn't understand the oral um, systemic connection. And you know what, they don't talk about the mouth. And I'm like, okay, well, we always say, oh, you know what, the head is connected to the body. Yes. And the head also has a brain in it. So we've got yep. to talk about this brain health in addition to our mouth health. They're connected. Yeah, it's so important. I, I read a study recently that said that gingy pains can be present in the brain for so many years. I forget the number of years it was, but it can be present there for a very long time before the patient presents with any symptoms. Do you have any input yeah. on that research? I don't. I don't have. Um, you know how long, but yes, they are. Um, the ginger pains are absolutely there. Um, and they are absolutely there for a long time before. And actually the research, not specifically on ginger pains, but they're um, telling us that the changes in the brain are happening uh, 10 to 20 years before the first symptom or sign. Oh no, that means like I'm effed. <laughs> <laughs> that means like we have to be paying attention today, right? Yeah. Um, so my my generation is the next potential generation of Alzheimer's. And it's like, so yeah. our brains are changing all the time. Yeah, yeah. And 
and it just depends, you know, it just like adds up and adds up and adds up. And, and before you know it, we're like, oh, I'm not remembering, you know, this or that. And then we go to the doctor and I'm like, oh, you have mild cognitive impairment. And it's like, okay, well, let's not get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's the goal is to even prevent that from happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where my lectures are focused at this point. I just presented a mega session at Under One Roof um, to 800 hygienists on this topic. Um, it was super well received. Uh, just did a webinar um, last night um, for a company. Um, and um, yeah, this is where my my focus is and teaching people. I have students um, that are that are taking um, a course called the Alzheimer's Risk Reduction Accelerator um, from me, whereby they learn about the risks of Alzheimer's. They learn about um, what those risks specifically do to the brain and then um, what they can do to, to reduce those risks. And they assess their risk factors. And then we make a protocol and they go to work on um, reducing their, their risks. Yeah, that's where this is all going, you guys. This is this is what this is for me. I love yeah. that. Is that is that um, like for is, is that hygiene driven your course, <laughs> or is it for any so practitioner? It's it's people driven. People driven because gotcha. everybody has a brain, right? Yeah. So you're looking at it from the person. Okay. So but but a hygienist would absolutely be able to cross over, not only use that for themselves and their family, but use that in their patient care as well. So it'd be beneficial. Absolutely. Gotcha. My um one of my Oh no. Each other, but um, so there was um yeah, they were all um practitioners, but they're like, oh my gosh, we are going to use this information for ourselves and our families. And then also they are um giving that information that they've learned to their patients as those opportunities um arise. I love that. So can you share with our listeners a little bit more about this course if they wanted to take it? I mean, you know, the Tabitha and I want to, I don't even, I could speak for Tabitha. I know she wants to take it. <laughs> um, so you can, um, you can visit my website. It's angiestonespeaks.com. Okay. Angiestonespeaks.com. And um, you can set up a call with me, uh, right? You can book a call with me right from the, from my website. And um, then what I would do is um, I want to be sure that I get people into the course that are really um, appropriate for the course, right? Um, and so um, I'm just pulling the website up so I can, um, yeah, my, just hold on a second, guys. Oh, I Are see you guys it. able to call? Yeah, I see it. Are you guys able to pull it up? Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it goes right. I see where it says book a call and it goes right to Calendly. Yeah. So you can book a call with me. Um, anybody that's listening, um, I will, you know, have a chat with you and see if this is something that um, the with the program, the Alzheimer's Risk Reduction Accelerator, if it's something that is appropriate um, for for the people that I talk to. Um, yeah, I love this. This yeah. is fantastic. And so what does an average week for Angie look like now with all the different things that you're doing? So ask me again, Tabitha, you broke up a little bit. What does an average week look like for Angie now with all the different things that you're doing? Average week? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. 
So um, I am talking to people constantly um, about this topic. Um, I am focusing on my own brain health. So I have a lot of things that I have incorporated into my routine. Um, I have um, sessions with my coach um, uh, each week and I'm uh, filling up my speaking calendar for 2023. And um, yeah, just really building this out so that we can, I can do as much as I can to share this message so that hopefully we can lessen this epidemic of Alzheimer's disease that is coming to us because yeah. this disease, it's just going, it's going rampant. I have another question too. So for the clinical dental hygienists working in general yep. practice who are listening right now as well, and they've got a Alzheimer's patient walking in the door as their next patient. Yep. What are some of the oral health things you think that they should be aware of for the for that patient walking in while they're still being taken care of at home? So um, as the disease progresses, um, a clinical hygienist is going to notice the deterioration in home care. Okay. Yep. Um, for several reasons. Number one, they don't remember to do it. Number two, they don't remember how to do it. Um, number three, if someone prompts them, as we already talked about, they may be resistant to that prompting, right? And so um, if we see that there is um, the poor home care and that we have high levels of plaque and bacteria everywhere, um, the last thing that we need to do is talk to them about 45 degree angles with a toothbrush and wrapping floss around their teeth. I'm like, okay, let's lose that dog and pony show right now because that is <laughs> not gonna be helpful, right? <laughs> and it's like, that's what we go to, right? We're like, oh my gosh, there's plaque on the teeth. We gotta get a toothbrush and we gotta get our floss and we gotta blah, blah, blah. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work for this patient. So how can we help this patient to um, keep that plaque at lower levels with some other things? Maybe that's implementing xylitol maybe that's implementing um, a mouthwash of some sort. Um, so that's really where we're going to be best served to keep this oral health um, the best that it can be. Um, and that patient is potentially going to need the dental hygiene services um, more often than every six months or whatever, because as this disease um, goes on, things are going to get worse and worse. And um, I have a patient that's in a memory care community right now and um, just spent, the husband just spent $6,000 to have some glass ionomer put in all of the tooth decay that this woman has. Oh my goodness. I mean, it is pathetic. If you could see the pictures, you guys, it is pathetic what's happened to this woman. Um, and so we've got to really support our patients. Um, and that's where my protocol comes in of going to those patients once a week and brushing their teeth for them and interdental cleaning for yeah. them and covering them with some xylitol products in between my visits um, because it will get to the point where they just can't do it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I remember 100%. the first time I heard you on a podcast, I think it was A Tale of Two Hygienists. And um, 
I was actually thinking about my business name at the time and I kept playing with high life and you had, you were like talking about high life and I was like, Oh my God, she's like, our brains are on the same wavelength. She's so cool. And you were talking about Xylitol and all the work you were doing at the time. And I was just like, wow, this woman is so amazing. So innovative. What an out of the box thinker. And I was just in awe of you back then. And now like hearing your story and seeing how you've shifted gears, and you know taking something that seemed so devastating at the time and turned it into something so amazing and so necessary and knowing in your heart that's the purpose like i just applaud you and everything you're doing you're absolutely incredible angie stone thank you and melissa we are grateful and for you. i think that you know what so many times we go through this pain in our lives and um we can get bitter um and and we can be sad um and in my mind, that doesn't help anything. It's like I went through this pain for a reason. And I always think that the reason for my pain is that maybe I could help someone else not to have this same pain. Um, and that's what High Life was. You know, it was born out of my experiences with my mother-in-law and my grandma. And I'm like, dang it, I'm going to do something so it doesn't happen to other people. And um, with this whole Alzheimer's thing, it's the absolute same thing. It's like, no. Um, I've been given a voice and I've been given these experiences for a reason. And yeah, that's yeah. where it's at. Well, you're an incredible 100%. human and we are grateful to have you. Thank you, my dears. So now, listeners, check out Angie's book, which we'll put links to, Dying of Dirty Teeth. I got mine off Amazon. Is that the main place you tell people yes. to go get it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'll put an Amazon link up for people so they can find it in the show notes and also we'll post online, check out her website. And um, we really hope that we can start. I really feel like we could probably do a series of episodes with you and dive deep into like each subject. Um, but let's yeah. really start this conversation and not just start a conversation, but let's start making change within our community that we're all getting on board and trying to really help our patients before getting there. But also if they do... Um, being respectful and, you know, equipped dental professionals to treat them appropriately as well. Yeah, that's what, I mean, our profession is all about prevention and we are just so unique and we have such an opportunity to help people in such a tremendous way. And that's why we are doing this podcast to disrupt the dental status quo. There you go. And you guys are, are doing that and we need, we need disruptors, right? Because yep. if we stay the same, then um, we're not making any progress and we're not we're not being helpful. So exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to share your magic and your knowledge. It was such a wonderful hour spending this time with you. And um, I'm sure our listeners are going to love it as they are uh, driving, commuting to work and such. And when they're listening and we, we love hearing your feedback. So please share with us what you think after listening to this episode with angie and go check her out like tabitha said we'll put all of her information in the show notes and until next time keep on disrupting bye bye hey thank you again so much for tuning into the disrupting dentistry podcast we love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcast or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.